Hey, community creators. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to share another podcast that I've been loving. It's called Commerce Chefs, and it's a quirky, thought-provoking show all about how to create a magical e-commerce brand. The hosts, Kyle and Tom, chat with some of the world's most brilliant and intriguing direct-to-consumer brand leaders, the Commerce Chefs, to uncover the secret ingredients that make their brands enduring classics. Whether you're a seasoned e-commerce leader or an up-and-coming maverick, you'll find something awesome and unexpected in each episode. You can tune into Commerce Chefs on your favorite listening platform, and I'll link it in the show notes as well. Okay. Yeah, so at 18, um, there's sort of that rite of passage for country kids where you either get a job, you get pregnant, or you go to university. And um, the first thing sounded really scary to me, so <laughs> I chose university. <laughs> You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Joanne Toronto. Joe is the founder of Good for the Hood, an Australian social enterprise that's all about bringing ordinary people together and giving them the tools to create meaningful change in their local communities. This is a feel-good, deeply moving episode that you don't want to miss. Joe and I chat about how to get started in making a difference in your local community, how to mobilize and empower the people around you, how to make your initiative sustainable, and so much more. So let's jump right into it. Hi, Joe. Welcome to Create Community. Hi, Masha. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm really well, really well excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. Really excited to have our first Australian guest on. Can you tell us a little bit about um, where in Australia you're based and share a little bit about the COVID situation? I put the disclaimer on this that I understand that the rest of the world is in a very different situation to Australia. So um, I live in Sydney at the moment and um, we're really fortunate in the fact that we have got off by world standards pretty lightly with COVID pandemic. And I'm not saying it hasn't affected every part of our lives, but certainly uh, at the moment we've got no cases, uh, active cases in the community. We still have lockdown at different points, but our freedom's pretty good at the moment. So we're, we're very, very lucky. That's so amazing to hear. And I know you kind of prefaced that with like a little bit of an apology and like, sorry to make anybody um, sad or jealous. But the way I see it, it's like such a ray of hope, right? It's like, hopefully, you know, we can get to the stage as well. Um, I'm recording this from Toronto, Canada, uh, where we're in a pretty serious um, state of emergency and like full lockdown and So to jump into um, your community story, I'm always really curious how my guests actually got into community building in the first place. So something that I find really interesting in your early journey is that you actually lived on a farm and grew up on a farm. Can you share a little bit about that? What was it like? I grew up in a little town called Tenterfield, uh, which is, I guess, a land of kind of stark contrast in the fact that it's on the dividing range. It's a granite. Um, belt that runs through the area and it's primarily these days um, farming land but it's been you know got some pretty uh, mountainous peaks and and lots of bushland and I lived there with my family from the age of 10 
And I was actually living on a property that had been uh, in my family for about six or seven generations um, since they had settled in Australia. So uh, by other countries' standards, that's, again, not a huge history, but for an Australian that, that settled in Australia, that, that's quite a big history to wear on your shoulders. So I lived in a house that had been you know, occupied by my great-great-great-grandparents, and I li- moved there in the middle of one of the most intense period of drought in Australia. Uh, and so I lived in this little farmhouse with my family that had you know, terrible water and bad drafts and bed bugs. And it was, <laughs> wasn't the idyllic kind of family upbringing initially, at least. But uh, the thing I remember when I moved to this community, apart from the drought, was just how close-knit everyone was. Everyone knew who you were and they wanted to, you know, <laughs> maybe be a bit nosy, but they also really just cared about who you were and what you were doing. So it was a pretty interesting upbringing. That's so cool. I'm sure it kind of informed your sense of community and really helped you uh, feel a sense of belonging from a really young age to to be part of a community like that. And wow, what a cool history. I love that. So I'm really curious what you were like in high school growing up. Like, were there any extracurriculars or things that you were really passionate about? And how did you find your sense of belonging at a really early age? Yeah, I guess. Uh, like a lot of people, I didn't think that I did feel like I belonged very much. Both my parents were school teachers. I felt like I was the nerdy, you know, bookworm who worked really hard. And I don't think I was particularly popular. Um, and so I, I didn't feel like I fitted in at all. And I, and going to a small school, it's even harder to find your crowd. Um, and look, I did have a few people. I used to sort of in my head think that was a bit of a bunch of misfits because they were the kids that didn't fit into any other the groups at school. Uh, but I was a very academic kid. Uh, I worked really hard. I didn't get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> I really enjoyed being uh, on the farm and being with animals. But my parents would tell you that I was a terrible, had a terrible work ethic by uh, agricultural standards. So um, I think I just kind of slid through. I, I, I worked really hard. I knew that if I worked hard, I could I get to university and leave the community as well because there really wasn't going to be a huge amount of prospects unless I wanted to become a farmer and I think I'd showed my true colors there. Yeah, for sure. So what is it around like university time that you left that community? Yeah, so at 18 um there's sort of that rite of passage for country kids where you either get a job, you get pregnant or you go to university. <laughs> And um, the first two sounded really scary to me, so <laughs> I chose university. <laughs> and uh, I set my sights on Brisbane because that was where my brother had moved to a few years before. That's so awesome. And what did you end up studying as your major? What did you pick? Yeah, so I, I knew two things about myself at that age. I had been informed by someone else that to choose a degree that you really enjoyed, so have something that was you were passionate about, please choose something that aligned with that. Because I was a pretty much an all-rounder, so... Uh, for me, that was either going to be people or I really cared about animals. And they were the two things. So I had in my mind some kind of science-based career that was either dealing with people or um, animals. And I quickly realized that veterinary science was not going to be for me because I actually had a very, very <laughs> uh, thin skin. And I was going to struggle with um, the amount of sadness that was going to be in you know, vet science. So I decided to pursue a career in occupational therapy and that was because it felt to me like I could work really closely with people 
And I really was fascinated by what made people tick and, and why they behaved in the way that they did. So I went to the University of Queensland and that's where I started my degree in occupational therapy. That's so interesting. And how, like, so you, did you end up starting your career um, in that field and how did that sort of go? I did. Yeah. So I, I graduated and like everyone who graduates had that sort of, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And um, the one thing that kept coming back to me was that I really liked working with people who needed to be shown a way of, of, you know, moving through some kind of challenge. So I really was fascinated by mental health and I started off in community mental health. It was something that I just found absolutely fascinating, uh, work, being welcomed into people's lives, you know, in their houses and helping them deal with some pretty huge um, challenges. And so I started off in mental health, um, but sadly, I, I realized quite quickly that that's a really tough gig, especially for a 24-year-old. Um, I then took off overseas and worked in hospitals, and I just really enjoyed working with people who... I guess needed support and, and assistance to, to get back to that sort of activities that they were either doing before or that they wanted to get involved in now. Tell me a little bit about how you continued on with, with your career journey. Yeah, so then I, I found myself coming back to Australia after a while away and and realizing that I think the entrepreneurial part of my brain started to kick in. I, I realized that it's really lovely to do things for people, but it pays terribly. <laughs> and I, I sort of had this sense that my impact was small. I guess I was looking for something different and I began working with people who had, had workplace injuries. So started working in the field of um, occupational rehabilitation and uh, quite enjoyed it because it was a corporate space, but it also felt like I was still working with that behavior change space. And I think that was becoming increasingly something I was passionate about. So I'm really excited to jump into your next chapter, uh, which is good for the hood. Um, so can you share a little bit about um, why you created Good for the Hood and what is it? Yeah, so look, I am exactly like the people that you've interviewed in your other episodes. I had absolutely no intent of becoming uh, a business person a change maker uh, and, and an entrepreneur that that really was not in my, you know, on my radar at all. Uh, so I guess I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I love that. Um, I really, <laughs> very much so. And and so I had a no intent on starting a business. Um, and in, in hindsight, it just, it really just felt like a sequence of steps that kind of made sense at the time. Um, and it all came off the back of having kids. So uh, once I started my family and I, uh, you know, realized what it was to be a mother and that kind of responsibility that was sitting on me now <laughs> to create a world that was safe for my kids. With all the, you know, talk and, and zoom and gloom around climate change, I really felt very powerless to do much else beyond the four walls of my home. As a young mom or, you know, as a mom with young family, I, I did what I could within my own home to consume responsibly and, and be a, a good citizen like as I saw it but again I just felt like my impact was so small that it was just one person and so my 
kind of intent or what, what, why good for the hood's being created is that it, it come from a purpose of giving people the skills and tools to understand that they, as ordinary people, can create immense change within their communities and that they just need to be, feel empowered and approach the problems in the right way to do that. So I guess it was kind of solving my own problem, uh, but I realised that I'm just one of many who have a similar situation. I love that story, that origin, that you were really solving your own problem. And it, it came from this realization that, you know, what can you do as just an ordinary, everyday person? What can, how can you do to really have an impact and how big could it be? So what exactly is good for the hood? So, so we're a social enterprise. We, uh, we are a business, but we give back to quite a number of charities who do environmental or social impact work. But the model of how we work is we work with corporate councils or local government organisations and also community changemakers themselves to give them the skills and tools to be able to create impactful change. So people say, oh, how do you do that? What, what is that? And that can be different things. So we, we don't go in and say, hey, you know what, if you want to fix your school up, here's all the things you should do. What we do is we go in and work with people to show them how to come up with their own solutions. So we use a bundle of skills around design thinking, uh, around behavior change, which has come from my <laughs> past life. And we work with people to understand how change is created and how they can be agents for change. So when you were like just getting started with bringing this to life, what were some of the first steps that you took to make it happen? My story was that I was at my house and was working with my kids and thinking about my life and my impact and climate change and pollution and plastics. And, and I realized that people around me were responding to what I was doing within my own home. So my neighbors started commenting that, oh, we noticed you're not putting out as much rubbish anymore. You know, we noticed that you've changed your diet. We noticed that, you know, you've been buying different brands. And then they like, tell us what we, you, we can do. And so people are just interested. And I guess I never really went to people and say, hey, you should be doing this. They just kind of came to me. And so I started working on a fruit and veggie co-op around my street because there was enough interest in buying produce, which was locally grown and plastic free. And then we realized that there was a whole bunch of litter around our community. And so a lot of those people would come and do litter cleanups with us. And I guess with the process of just expanding our focus and combining with passionate people who are in our surrounding neighbourhood, we kind of built a little bit of a community committed to being better environmental citizens. And what I realised quite quickly is that there's some really positive ways of doing that, which are far more effective than some of the other approaches that I've seen. So I think... We were really focused on our suburbs, on our streets, but it quickly became about our local government area, so a whole bunch of suburbs. And then we were really lucky uh, to connect with a, a producer or an impact producer of a TV show in Australia, which did really well, which was about waste, so called the war on waste. And I think that kind of gave us the impact to work with communities all over Australia because all of a sudden, we were able to work with them and give them the tools to create those changes as well. So 
we realized that everything we were doing in our neighborhood wasn't unique. It was just local and focused on the small things that we could tackle and that in every community around Australia and to be honest, around the world, there are people like us doing that. So I think whilst we didn't start out with Good for the Hood, Good for the Hood became you know, a business on the back of that to say, right, there are really great ways of creating change and here's how you do it. That's so amazing. You really were able to mobilize communities and mobilize people to make change sort of on like a micro level, starting with their with their own communities and their own neighborhoods. But that really translates to something so much bigger when it's happening at scale, like you said. So I think that's really cool. How did you meet your co-founder for the business? Well, and like anyone who starts an organization called Good for the Hood, she's my neighbor. <laughs> so, so Karina was the co-founder and really, um, you know, deserves so much thanks and recognition for the work she's done, um, especially in the early days, because she, she was my rock. She, she was the one who said, you can do this and we should do this together. So I'm really curious how you actually monetize and make your business uh, sustainable. So you mentioned that it's a social enterprise, but of course you, you need some revenue coming in to actually make it sustainable. So how do you monetize Good for the Hood? This is probably the biggest challenge for every group and every um, startup business, particularly if you're a service-based business. How do I make money out of this how and not you know not so that I'm the richest person in my street (laughs) but just so that I can keep doing the impact that and create the impact I want and I can feed my kids um I think people are really uncomfortable with this as a topic I, I find in the social impact space because they feel that they shouldn't make money because what they're doing is just inherently the right thing to do and I think it's really important to recognize that if you want a business or a, you know, a charity to have impact, it has to be sustainable financially. So you can't do, <laughs> you can't be in the green if you're in, not in the black. So, um, so you can't do the good environmental work if you're not uh, financially uh, you know, sustainable. So we have a, a service-based business. We run workshops. Uh, we have partnerships. Uh, with organizations and um, we have a number of products which we sell to different clients so sometimes it's a very much off off the shelf package that they purchase and sometimes we work on a solution with them but our challenge has been knowing what that is knowing what our value is knowing what impact we can help people create and then I guess selling that Um, so it's not an easy space and I think it's something that we are evolving with over time in terms of increasing our offering and being able to let people know that this is what we do because often they're like, you're great. What do you do? <laughs> um, so, you know, the majority of the work we're doing at the moment is with local governments and we work really, they, they pay us to come in and work with their communities. So on their behalf, we come in and, help their communities come up with solutions, which then make their job easier too. So uh, I'd say to anyone who's really trying to find how to make their business sustainable is that, you know, it's not a flash in the pan thing. It's something you've really got to work on and kind of keep strategizing. And we've worked really hard on knowing what we are and what we aren't and what we do really well and what we don't do so well. 
I think it's so important that you called that out, you know, this like friction and almost the stigma around um, revenue and trying to make your business sustainable when you're in um, social enterprise. And I think it's very similar for uh, people in the community space. And it can make you feel really guilty as as a leader of your organization or your community or business or, or whatever it may be. But I think you nailed that on the head. Like it, it has to be sustainable for it to bring value to your community and, and to the people that you're trying to impact. And I think it's all about finding ways to monetize it in a way that actually um, helps you grow and helps you bring value um, to the people that Absolutely. you're trying to serve. And I think once you become comfortable with what you charge and what, and what you sell, then you just stand firm. And my experience in the community space is that people do not charge enough because I've worked with um, local government agencies who hire people to do the sort of work. And, and I kind of balk at what they charge and I go, wow, you should be charging a lot more than that. <laughs> so I would say to people, please look at what you, you charge and, and, and be realistic. How much of your time are you investing? How much effort are you putting in? And what is the impact? Because your impact is what people are paying you for as well. So you mentioned a few um, stories here and there about, you know, people really making a difference in their community. Are there any really like magical stories that that jump to mind that you'd like to share? Absolutely. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> One of them is in um, Sydney, in, in, in my hood. Um, it's in a community called Manly. And I just think they are the greatest people in terms of creating a community of passionate people so they're an organization called Operation Straw, and they started because a couple of beautiful human beings realized that the marine life in the cove was really struggling with the amount of pollution that was coming from the humans on, um, along the Manly um, foreshore. So we have a lot of bars, restaurants, cafes, amazing food. Um, when COVID restrictions lift, everyone should come and check out our amazing <laughs> Sydney hospitality. Oh, um, I would love to. With, with, <laughs> sorry, that's cruel. Uh, but one thing that happens from that is that we have so much single-use plastic that's being created. And when you've got, like, you know, I'm sure like any community that backs onto the water, you have a lot of that litter just washing into the water. So what Operation Straw started out doing is thinking, how can we clean up Manly Cove? And instead of just calling it, you know, no plastic manly or, um, you know, telling people they shouldn't litter or, you know, showing pictures of upset, you know, animals and sick dying turtles, they called it Operation Straw, which I think for a start is a really positive name. And then they used this thing, which uh, a wonderful kind of, I call him a mentor, but someone I look up to called Les Robinson uses, is this concept called passion mashing so he took two things that they're really passionate about and they put them together and they took straws which is you know the thing they're trying to get rid of and snorkeling and they pushed them together and they started a movement of strawclers so on Saturdays or the weekends they go down and they snorkel so they snorkel for straws <laughs> and they've created this amazing community of people who come down 
and literally pick up straws. And you can think of it, you know, if you're an advertising executive or a marketing person and you wanted to try and create a campaign that you want to be part of, then a community of stalkers to me just sounds like a great, quirky, fun community to be part of. And they've got the branding right and they've got the messaging right. And what they've done is kind of transform the whole of the Manly area with a lot of support from local government and from, um, you know, some other sustainable organisations in the area. And they've, they've taken those businesses on a journey away from plastic straws. They've taken the community on a journey away from, you know, understanding the harmful impacts of uh, using straws. And they go down and struggle. They've pulled 5,000 straws out of that cove, and it's not a huge cove. Um, and they have this ongoing, sustainable organisation that, that tackles this problem. And um, so that's one of my favourites. That is so cool. <laughs> I just, yeah, I'm obsessed with that. I love it. <laughs> and so my other favorite one, and this is a very Aussie concept, so you just bear with me, um, is a community of people who sew. And they create this, uh, create these sewing circles and they create a bag called boomerang bags. Now, a boomerang in Australia um, is, is an implement that was used by Indigenous people to uh, hunt and you throw it and it comes back. So they have a community of boomerang makers. So these are bags that you put out into the community and you use it and then bring it back. And what I love about this group is that they use the power of their volunteerism. And these are people who just want to sew. They don't get paid for it. They just commit to a purpose. They take textiles, which would otherwise go to landfill. So maybe a sheet that's got a tear in it or some curtains that are a bit faded and they take the textiles from that and they spend 40 minutes creating these bags and then they put them out in the community and they say this is a bag that I've spent 40 minutes making and I'm giving it to you because I want you to use it and I want you to avoid that next single-use plastic bag that's at the shop take this bag that I've made for you use it if you finish with it you bring it back otherwise you keep it and you keep using it and it's a really powerful kind of gesture that I have faith in you. I like you enough that I'm giving you this. <laughs> Please use it. So that's two examples of that I just think you've nailed it, guys. And they're very successful movements. That's incredible. I like that's just so lovely that, you know, like you're able to get this thing that somebody has poured their their heart and soul into making and spent all those hours um, making it. And it just that's such a nice thing. And that's such a great way to connect with with your community. I absolutely love that. Um, but have there been any challenges or really dark times along your journey? Um, and how did you get through them? Yeah, look, absolutely. <laughs> it's almost a dark time every day, isn't there? Like, I mean, it depends in business. It's it's up and down and it's, you know, you can be on a bit of a, a wave of excitement and, and then, you know, something happens and you think, oh, I'm back to, you know, feeling like I'm going backwards. I think the darkest period for me was probably before Good for the Hood. I think for me, it's the reason I started Good for the Hood and I, I mentioned it briefly, but it's, I... I went through a period between having my two sons of having a number of miscarriages. Um, so I had six miscarriages um, in you know a period of a few years. And I think that for me was the turning point of me working out, I've got to find something that 
lights my world on fire because life is short and, and bad things happen. And, you know, if you don't seek out and, and find that the stuff that sets your soul on fire and leave a bit of a legacy, then, you know, your time could be up quite quickly. So I think I became a little bit aware through grief and through trauma and also just facing mortality as an issue. I think I quickly realized that I needed to find something where I felt like I had a real value for the world um, and also create some, like you said, just get in touch with other people who are inspired and excited and doing good things. So I, I don't think there's any mistake that that's why I ended up where I am. Um, but really what got me through, I think that time was, a very um, micro community in a way. And people talk about the kindness of strangers when you're really struggling. And I, I, I believe that it's the people that said hello to you on the days when you just thought, I can't even get out of bed. You know, it was my neighbor, Karina, just bringing me a new pair of pajamas, you know, <laughs> and, and saying here, or this, you know, another friend of mine baking muffins and just leaving it on my doorstep. You know, those things, I think people underestimate the power of small acts to really sweep people into a different place and, and keep keep going. So uh, that's why I guess I'm so passionate about small and, and local, because I think that's what keeps the world going around. I really agree with you. And th also, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing that. I, I know it's not easy, um, but I'm sure that, you know, hearing your story is really going to help a lot of people. And, you know, a lot of people are going through through similar things. So really, again, thank you for being so open and, and sharing um, so I'm really curious what your vision is for the future of Good for the Hood. I know you just started it a couple of years ago. Um, what is on the horizon? How can um, how can listeners help? If there's anything that we can do, how can we get involved? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess first and foremost, I, I want to share more stories because I think I've underestimated the power of sharing a good story when it comes to uh, local um, environmental change. I think stories, you know, get a bad rap sometimes, but stories change the world. And I think uh, we know more than ever that, you know, good stories can change hearts and minds and they, and they should, because, you know, these stories are worth telling. They're maybe not front page news, but they kind of encapsulate more of humanity than I think, you know, some of the big stuff does. So um, I think we've focused primarily on Australian stories because we feel like we understand those, that they're, they're on our doorstep. People know a little bit more about us here. Uh, but I think empowered people creating change isn't unique to Australia. And I think the more you speak to people and even speaking to yourself, Marsha, it is so obvious that this is just part of the human condition and that this is happening everywhere. And I love the stories that come out of um, other places. So if you have a story about local community building and planet friendly activities then we would love to hear it because what happens is then people take that and they go that is brilliant I want to do that or I want to do that but I'm going to do this bit differently and there's this really beautiful act of <laughs> almost copying which happens which I love I'm a big fan of it so um, you know creating those movements everywhere is really important so please share your stories and you can hashtag good for the hood on your social posts and we like to amplify those on our platform which is sort of building slowly <laughs> and um, I'd also really like to work more closely um, with corporates and business because like we said before there's a real gap between grassroots communities 
being able to keep going with the work that they do um, and businesses who want to have a positive social impact and active purpose, but knowing how to do that in a way that actually speaks to their employees or their customers. So uh, we really feel that the powerful acts of communities are, are really only limited sometimes by the fact that the people who are doing those acts don't realise how powerful they are. So, um, you know, if anyone knows or wants to connect, you know, or help us create more partnerships between corporates and, and the community groups that we work with or that we'll work with in the future, uh, we would love to see that because, you know, there's really great stories. $1,000 for a community group is a lot of money. <laughs> and so corporates suddenly go, what? That, you know, so when we're talking about impact, um, you know, a huge impact can be made by, um, by support and partnerships. So, yeah, there's two ways that we'd love to see Good for the Hood grow. And we've got some exciting things coming in the next 12 months, which uh, will be really great to get off the ground too. So always something in the pipeline, that's for sure. So I want to get some of your advice for listeners, and I, I think this has obviously been such a reoccurring um, theme throughout our conversation that regular, ordinary people can make a huge impact um, just by doing small things within their local community. Um, but how can people who are listening to this, how can they get started with community involvement and how can they kind of like get out of that mind frame that um, like small actions won't really make that much of an impact? I, I know it could be really intimidating for people to start even like recycling or living a more sustainable lifestyle because they they think that it's, you know, it's, it's not going to make a difference on a global scale. So why bother? How can people overcome that mindset and just get started? Yeah, so I think, first of all, recognize that, you know, it does make a difference, absolutely does make a difference, what you do and how you do it. And there's a reason for that is that people say, oh, it doesn't matter if, you know, 50 people do the right thing when, you know, and I say, well, why not? And they say, well, when one person does the wrong thing, it stuffs it up for everyone else. And that's a perfect example of recycling, for example, if you throw something that shouldn't be in the recycling bin, and everyone else does the right thing, that one person messes it up for everyone. And then, so I say, well, that's the perfect example of why you should do the right thing. Not because necessarily thousands and thousands of people doing the right thing is going to fix the problem. I mean, it's a great start, but because thousands and thousands and thousands of people doing the wrong thing is really, really, really disastrous. So, you know, we need to recognize that our good actions are great, but by doing nothing or doing, you know, the opposite of, of good, that we're actually creating more problems. So um, recognize that, that your, your behavior impacts the world, not just because of what you do, but because of the people that see you do it. And um, one of my most favorite things to do when I feel useless or I feel like I'm not having an impact on the world is I go and pick up rubbish. And you might think, well, what's the point? You know, it's just going to be there tomorrow. And there's two reasons I do it. One, because it makes me feel like I'm an effective person and I'm doing something, even when I maybe don't feel it within myself. And that happens a lot. I think, oh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not moving quickly enough, but I'll go and do it because from it's like cleaning your bedroom. <laughs> you don't feel bad after it. It's maybe a bit gross and it's a lot of work and you think, but after it, you feel good and you've got a clear head and you can start again. So that's exactly what going out and cleaning my street is. 
The other thing that happens is that my kids see me do it and that my neighbor's kids see me do it. My neighbors see me do it. The people driving past see me do it. And I do it in a way that makes people feel good. They don't ever go, oh, you're an idiot for picking up rubbish. They smile or they, they feel better about the fact that that person cares. So I think that we underestimate the power of our behavior. So my advice to people who are wanting to get started is just start. I don't care if you don't know what inspires you. I don't care if you don't know what your big business idea is or where you're going to be in 20 years. Start. You know, follow the podcast that inspires you. Watch the TV show about that thing that you really like. Listen to the radio to segments that make you feel good. Read books that give you ideas. Connect with people who have big ideas. Surround yourself with environments that give you that inspiration and start. Go out and do that thing that you're worried about. See that problem and fix it. And what happens from that is that that eye action leads to another action. And all of a sudden, you'll be attending a webinar with someone and that person will say, hey, I really like what you talk about and can we have a coffee? And then that person might say, oh, someone's looking for someone to work with this community. All of a sudden, actions create more actions. And so if you're ever feeling like you don't know where to start, just start. It doesn't matter where you start. It actually does not matter. But the act of doing something is what matters. I love that advice and I feel so motivated. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love that line, Just Start. We actually, um, I think it's our third episode of this podcast. That's the title of it with uh, with Mara Reyes. And it's, it's just about, you know, like, don't overthink it. Like, even when it comes to starting a community, it doesn't have to be like this massive thing. Like, if you see a need for something and you want something to exist or you want to make some kind of change, just start, like, take the first step and you're going to be surprised at, at how things progress and how great you feel. So I'm so glad that you shared that. So I want to jump into your personal community. I think it's so fascinating how um, community people navigate their personal communities outside of their, their businesses or the professional communities that they're building. So are there any communities that you're part of and why are they meaningful to you? Yeah, I, I guess I'm part of a lot of professional organizations and associations, but when, when I think about community, they're not the ones that jump to mind. I think the communities that I feel really part of are probably a network of about 10 women <laughs> that I connect with um, on a semi-regular basis. And it might be for coffee, it might be for a wine, it's been an awful lot of Zoom sessions over COVID. Uh, and it might not be for any great purpose, but they are doing something themselves, which inspires me. Um, I've found that since I've been on this journey that the people that I had friendships with or connected with who didn't kind of have something that there was a, like a fuel within them, you know, that was driving what they were doing, it's not that I haven't wanted to spend time with them, but they seemed to have fallen away. And I was talking with a girlfriend the other day about this and she said, I don't ever just sit around and talk about The Bachelor anymore, do you? And I'm like, no, not that I ever really did before. But but she just said it, it's a weird place. All of a sudden we talk about ideas and big things and, and, and the little things that maybe it's a time of our life, I don't know. But we seem to talk about business and service and community and, you know, impact and legacy now. Um, sure, we still enjoy having wine and being silly, but a lot of us, the people that I surround myself with my community are, are like-minded in that space now. 
Uh, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think I, I seek those people out because they give me the energy to keep going with the other, um, you know, with the days that aren't so easy as well. So I definitely think there's that space. I, I really enjoy speaking to other social entrepreneurs as well. So um, because I, I think that there's always really unique, interesting models that are out there, which I haven't heard of yet and, and ways that I go, excellent, you know, yes, I need to talk to that person. And so as a networking community, I think that's really powerful. And I, I do a lot of that through Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, social media to me is, you know, with all its downsides, is the greatest thing for me because I just feel that I can reach out within, you know, a few keystrokes to anyone in the world and, and, and ask them a question. So, um, you know, and I guess beyond that, my kids, my, my kids are my community. Um, you know, I, I'm now a single mom. I, I have two kind of quite strong-willed young boys and, you know, they are kind of my sounding board at times. And they asked me, they, one of them said yesterday, mom, did you start good for the hood on your own? And I said, no, I started it with Karina. And, and he said, wow. And that was all he said. And he walked away and I went, it's really nice. He, he's seen this, he's eight. And, you know, I hope one day that he's proud of me and he goes, you know what? My mom did something really cool. So I think my personal community is, is my boys as well. And, and ultimately I started because of them. They're my why. And so I will continue to work in a way that, you know, will benefit them hopefully with the kind of world that we end up with at the end of this. So. For sure. I mean, what better reason is there, right? That's amazing. Um, so my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you? Yeah, this is probably the hardest one for me because, it, you know, it's just such a simple thing for me that to put it into words, it's always tricky. But for community for me is, is working together with people towards a common cause. I mean, that, that's an obvious definition, but for me, the best communities are the ones that change the issues that affect us negatively and they share in the goodness that they create along the way. That's community for me. I love that definition. That's so great. Joe. thank you so much again for joining me. It was so much fun chatting with you and thank you so much for connecting with me on LinkedIn. Just like you said, you can really connect with anybody and look at us having this conversation across <laughs> the world. It's been my absolute pleasure, Marsha, and I, I'm excited for you, and I love the podcast. It's awesome. I had such a great time chatting with Joe, and I hope you felt inspired by the conversation and will go out there and start making a difference in your local community. You can connect with Joe on LinkedIn at Joe Toronto, and you can learn more about Good for the Hood at goodforthehood.com.au or on Instagram at goodforthehood. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off.
A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media. 